Welcome to the Splinters Podcast from the team on the bench. Community Radio's leading no-holds-barred Friday night sports show. Available online and replayed on Triple H 100.1 FM. Now, here's your host, the Raging Bull, Anthony Caruso. Good evening and welcome to Splinters, the bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, Apple Store, YouTube Music, Spotify, TuneIn and all good podcast sites. We do it all for Atlas Chartered Accountants, the Hornsby Coringai Post, the Hornsby RSL and ISC Sports. Anthony the Bull Caruso and uh, through the depths of despair of what is happening in Sydney, there was one amazing, glorious, shining light on the world that we know. Yes, it was Euro 2020. And as we all know, football came home. Oh, I'm not, I'm sorry, sorry. Football came to Rome. Yes, it was a boil over the ages. And we have some very happy campers on this edition of Splinters as we take a slightly azzurri tinted lens over the competition. And as you can guess, I am joined, of course, by our chief football correspondent, the spicy chorizo, Dom Rizzuto. And I don't think you've stopped celebrating yet, have you? Oh, look, it's uh, one of the great finals uh, for yours, truly. Hello to you and everyone listening in. Uh, a final that I have never felt so stress-free as a, a winner uh, of the competition in the, out of the final two would have put a smile on my face regardless. But yes, it did fall to the Italians once again and it, um, at the despair of the English, which we'll talk about uh, in, in detail further on, but yeah, what a fantastic tournament! It went really well in for for most of it. You know, great to see fans back in the stadiums as well. COVID safe or not, but it was uh, a marvelous football football tournament that I think has uh, gotten the appetite wet for what's to come in future football tournaments that will be starting soon. That's for sure. But I tell you what, it was a an excellent tournament, full of quality, unearthed some stars and. Can't wait to kind of go through these teams and, and discuss how we thought they went. Well, we'll go through the six groups. We'll run the rule. And, of course, it is back, the Triple H Sports Report card. Ladies and gentlemen, let's get straight into it. Luigi Colina, our favourite referee, is out in the middle and he's about to blow time on. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Splinters. <laughs> We're going to kick things off here tonight with Group A in order that they finish. And the winners of that group and the aforementioned champions in Italy. And we're going to divide up to four sections for each of these. What went well? What didn't go well? Where to next? And our ratings for their performance. For mine, Dom, I thought what went well for Italy, their defense. It was brutal. Yeah, it was um, what one of it, uh, the competition in the end. Uh, zero goals conceded in the group stages. Only four conceded in the entire tournament. Giorgio Chiellini and Leonardo Panucci were fabulous with uh, Leonardo Spinazzola, arguably the player of the tournament before he tragically went down with an Achilles tendon tear uh, in the game against, I believe it was Austria at the time, and was very, very disappointing for him because he was fantastic. But uh, Emerson came in and did, a, and did a great job in sort of filling in for the, uh, the role that Spinazzola played in that side throughout the tournament. And then Di Lorenzo did really good work in space of Florenzi when he got injured within the first game too. So they all did fabulous and they were backed by player of the tournament in the end, Gianluigi Donnarumma, who was exceptional and has a very, very long 
successful, uh, I'm assuming, career ahead of him after replacing Buffon. So fabulous work from the Italians. Uh, defensively, it's, as I mentioned, it's what won them the tournament. And age, really just a number when you think about <laughs> how well Chiellini and Benucci played uh, compared to some of the, the youthful attacks that they came up against. What didn't go well for the mind, and it's something that I've noticed they did lack, which is why I was incredibly worried. Italy have been at their best, that even though they're, when they're known for their defence, they have a talismanic striker who leads the attack. They didn't have that this year. They had five players that scored a couple of times in Matteo Pessina, Federico Chiesa, Ciro Immobile, Renzo Insigne, and Emmanuel Locatelli. But I just thought, Immobile and Insigne once again went missing at the international level. I disagree with you on Lorenzo Insigne's role within the side. I think he's he's not a goal scorer. You have to remember he's not a he's not someone who's going to score you two or three goals a game. He'll score you a weldy, but the link up play that he had with Verratti and Spinazzola was was exceptional. And the goal he scored against Belgium was very, very crucial in the end and, and a fabulous goal at that. I do agree with you on Immobile. As much as I love him at a domestic level, and even though he does play for Lazio, and we all know I'm a big Roma fan, he has never been able to put those same sort of shooting boots on when he puts on an Azuri jersey, has he? And it, it was a bit of a disappointing outing for him in terms of tournaments, really, and I actually thought they looked a lot better when they bought Bellotti on. Someone who could hold it up a little bit more, especially when they started Chiesa. He was more of a, a, a threat because he could at least contest for the ball against some of those big centre-half pairings that the Italians had to come up uh, against during their, their matches, in, especially in the later stages of the competition, i.e. especially the, the, the final itself. But, you know, I thought the, you know, obviously Federico Chiesa, was I thought outside Donnarumma the player of the tournaments. His goals were crucial. Manuel Locatelli I think was unlucky to lose his spot to Marco Verratti, but when he came in, Verratti was exceptional, and Matteo Pessina was great off the bench too. So look, they probably could have put a few more goals past certain teams, the Italians. But weirdly, that's never been their style anyway. So it's good to see that they had that potential potency. But yes, I think they, as you mentioned, as we go to the the real crucial kind of. Uh, I would say Achilles heel to the Italians. Uh, it is probably not lacking that out and out goal scorer currently within their roster of players to choose from. I gave them an A plus. They def- to me they defied all expectation. The spirit has not been this good in years. Roberto Mancini pulled an absolute masterstroke in this squad. There's renewed confidence. They're looking good for qualification for the FIFA World Cup as well. They won't go in as favourites, but I think they've established themselves as dark horses. Well, they'll. Off- Obviously, going as I would say contenders uh, after this performance, and I think there would be they even more contenders now, knowing that Bonucci and Chiellini probably will still be around next year. You know, had this tournament been held back in 2020, you would have thought maybe the extra two years uh, onto the World Cup might have been too much of a push. They might have, you know, if they won in 2020, they might have wrapped it up, finished on a good note, etc. But Considering where they are with World Cup qualifying, they're, they're, they're you know they're going to be in the World Cup this year, uh, coming year. They'll have those two at the back again, which will be will definitely put them in good stead for the competition. Obviously, they're the champions of Europe now, and will have there'll be a certain tag around that as to their performances. So they'll be up there. Will they go all the way? Well, we'll, we'll see in 12 months' time. A plus, absolutely. If you're if you end up winning a competition, you can't get 
any other rating other than that. For them, where do they go next? For me, yeah, look, they've got to keep going. They need to get this side, I think, winning uh, even more and more and, and becoming a side that I would like to see convincingly beat the best in the world, you know, the like the English and the and Spanish, probably not resulting to penalties, trying to beat them within the 90 minutes. That's where the Italians will probably want to take themselves in terms of the next level. But in terms of this tournament, A-plus all around for us here on the bench, that's for sure. And a big congratulations to them on winning another international tournament. Wales finished second in Group A, knocked out of the round of 16. I gave them a D-plus. I thought, you know, they, they managed to get something together after Ryan Giggs got stood down over his malarkey off the field. Uh, but their lack of attack options was there for all to see. You know, Aaron Ramsey only scored once. Gareth Bale was just, I thought, was terrible. And if things aren't bad enough now, they're, they're struggling in their World Cup qualifiers. I think Wales have had their run, and I think they're on a downward spiral again. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. They're, they're a little golden generation. I wouldn't even really call it a golden generation. It was just they happened to have a... At every tournament, there's a team especially the Euros, and even in the World Cup, there's always one team that does really well, that you don't expect to do, produce the results they do. Six years ago, or five years ago, I should say, in 2016, it was Wales. In 2018, you probably in the World Cup, you probably say it was Croatia and England. You wouldn't expect them to go all the way. This year, in 2021 or 2020, it was Denmark, right? There's always one team that kind of got, have a little bit of a golden run, in one tournament, and then obviously they lose those two or key three players, or those two or three key players get injured, and then they don't ever succeed the same heights. This is the exact thing that is happening to Wales. They are obviously, I think, were always going to be up against it when you've got Gareth Bale, who's not playing consistent football at all. He was playing a few games off the bench in the Premier League, and in some of those performances he looked good against the teams that they should beat, but he could never take them to the next level, which is what I think they hoped he would do. He didn't do that. And Ramsey is playing bit parts football for Juventus, so there's your two best players not playing enough football on a consistent basis, and then they're expected to turn up and compete the best on an international level. It was never going to happen. They've got some young talent, but defensively they're very, very shot, and they were, they were found out. They put in enough good performances to get through the groups in the end. Not at all convincingly, may I add, they beat a really poor Turkey and then drew with Switzerland and, and, and got pumped by the Italians. So really, they only just scraped through on that, that kind of lucky third place team result. But yeah, they, for me, yeah, D, a D plus, not too sure where they can go next. They've got a World Cup ahead of them. I'm not too sure if they've qualified. I don't think so, or they're oh, very yeah, much and struggling. They're in, and they, they, they drew Belgium and the Czech Republic. Yeah. So look, it's going to be a, it's going to be a tough onslaught for the Welsh side, whether or not Gaff Bale plays next year as well. There'll be obviously big questions around his future. He's not going back to Spurs, so he'll remain at Real Madrid under a new leadership there this year with Carlo Ancelotti. Does he bring him back in? That's where he played his best football was when Ancelotti was in charge. So with it being a year away, if they can get to the World Cup, that'll be a huge success for them. And I'm sure their fans and obviously the nation of Wales will be extremely pleased that their side will be heading to Qatar in 2022. Switzerland came third in Group A, knocked out in the quarterfinals. They actually did better than Wales in that regard. Was, I thought it was okay from them. More could have been done. I gave them a B minus. I thought for mine, this was very un-Switzerland-like. They built up a reputation for having a very solid defence and not much in terms of attack. But where did this come from? 
They absolutely put some goals away this tournament. Yeah, they played really good football in the sort of back half of the tournament, Switzerland. Um, they obviously didn't get off the, to the flashiest of starts. They drew to, to Wales first, and then I believe they then met the Italians and couldn't get past them. But, you know, they, they regathered. They, they managed to qualify through after beating Turkey and then pulled the what was probably the upset of the tournament when they got past France on penalties after what you can only say uh, was an absolute choke from the world champions. Oh, absolutely a choke. But it has to be said, Zodan Shakiri was absolutely outstanding. Harris Seferovic and Steven Zuba are absolutely brilliant as well. The only thing for mine is I don't think they found a replacement to Stefan Licksteiner. Yeah, look, it, I don't know if Licksteiner's their, their biggest... Concern at the moment uh, in terms of where they go next, this Switzerland team. I think they're they're well rounded. They'll always be competitive uh, in any tournament that they play in. Uh, you know, Jan Sommer had a, a great tournament, and they they could have gone through uh, uh, into the semis had they uh, gotten past Spain on penalties too. A, a fabulous tournament, I think, from them when you think about it. And for me, I, I gave them a, I think another B rating for them. And in terms of where they finished, quarterfinals spot, which is not what too many expected from them. Look, at the end of the day, they they didn't finish in the what I like to say the the proper qualifying spot, but they made it work like kind of Portugal did in 2016, and you know we're very very unlucky not to to go even further than the than the quarterfinals. Very quick mention: Turkey finished fourth in Group A. Not F. much. F. F. That's what I gave them. I just want to say something here, Caruso. More than anything about Turkey is that it wasn't really their fault. You know whose fault it was? Everyone who predicted them to be good. Why, I do not understand, did people think that this team was going to be that fantastic? Yes, they've got some good players. They've got, obviously, Kagla Tionchu at the back. For you know, Obviously, he's had a great uh, couple of seasons with Leicester. They've got Chanalongu up front. You're at Vilmaz leading him. Other than that, they're not, they're not, it's not that good of a squad, right? It's got some decent players in there. But to think that's... I mean, like some people, I thought someone like I can't remember who it wasn't like one of the Optus sports coverage. They were asking who they think their winners was going to be, and someone said Turkey. And I was just like, "Are you kidding me?" Like I just don't get it. And I just think they were just uh, these totally unrealistic expectations on them that they just never lived up to, um, no, which was crazy. Like those sides, like Turkey, Greece, they thrive off the idea that nobody knows about them. And they just coast through, and then all of a sudden they're like, you know, we're here to play, and teams aren't prepared for them. When teams are prepared for them, they've got no answer. Let's move on to Group B, and we're going to start off with Belgium, who finished top the group, got knocked out in the quarterfinals. I gave them a C minus. They, they've been the biggest underachievers, I think, in the last four years. They failed to live up to the hype once again. And with this lineup that they've got, there is absolutely no excuse. Their performances in the group stages were, were first class and, you know, they performed pretty well in that, uh, in, in the round of 16 game to get past Portugal. And they were unfortunate that they ran into, to Italy. But even that day, had it not been for the poor penalty that was given away, uh, by the Italians right in the stroke of half time, they were nowhere near close to being at the level that they should be at as a team. I think they're struggling almost a little bit now with this golden generation 
Obviously, Romelu Lukaku played exceptionally, but almost did there being a too much of an over-reliance on Kevin De Bruyne nowadays for them in the in the middle of the park, which I think had a bit of an effect on them when they came up against Italy, when the Italians obviously just crowded him out in the midfield. And then they just didn't really have any other answers. And all fairness to them, you know, they, they got... They weren't good on the day, but they had the chances to, to, to beat the Italians as well, which could have, you know, seen them go through to the to the semi-finals. And who knows after that, you know, they get past that that game and, and win scrappily. Do they go on and and be that team that no one else beat? What do I rate them? It's tough because it's hard to get. I think C minus is harsh in this tournament. I agree with you, Caruso. They are underachievers. Um, in terms of what they've been able to not been able to produce with this roster that they've had for what people don't realise now is a good like eight years realistically. Eden Hazard not being at his full potential obviously is a, a big out for them, but they've still got some pretty handy replacements uh, to fill in for someone of his calibre. But it's harsh, I think, to say a C- minus because they did end up losing to the eventual champions. If they had gone out to someone like Switzerland or Denmark, then, yeah, fair enough, I, I'd, 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 I'd throw the book at them. But I'm going with a C+. Plus. They were undefeated in their matches uh, through the group stages. They knocked out the previous champions in Portugal who... For me, I picked as my favourites for the tournament with the squad that they had. So I think C is uh, uh, plus is fair for them. Where do they go next? Well, they need to get this squad ready and prepared. I think for Belgium to be known as one of the great teams or as one of these great golden generation teams, they're heading very much towards the English of 2000, the year 2000 to the year 2000 and let's say 12. That crop of players that came through those 12-year period. The Belgian team is very much similar to that. And unless they fix that next year, then I think they will never have a, a better opportunity. We then go to Denmark, the fairy tale team of the competition. Um, I, to start off with, I gave them a B plus. They rallied so well after the near-death experience for Christian Eriksen. Kasper Dolberg scored three goals. Pierre-Emile Hoiberg was just on another planet in this competition this year. Yeah, when you when you put him in a team that works really hard, uh, every single player on the team, the full, the full 11, he's an incredibly great talent. Put him in a team which doesn't work as hard, i.e. first since he's jumped across, you don't get the same kind of results from it. But in this Denmark side, which took that motivation of Christian Eriksen's uh, and took it as a huge motivational push, they, they soared, right, and were fantastic afterwards and were one of the, one of the great teams to watch. You know, then they've got a some really good, talented players coming through the mix, which is, which is, I think they're going to be a real kind of dark horse for a couple of seasons to come. At the end of the day, with them, when they when they were playing England in that, uh, I believe it was in the semi finals, which you didn't expect Denmark to get to at all. They just lacked that quality of someone like Christian Eriksen. They got the goal and they were playing very nicely. But when you think about the run that they had into that match with the with the English, when they you know they qualified through their group, then they were fortunate enough to draw Wales in their first match. And as we mentioned, Wales were pretty poor and were quite lucky to be there in that group that they qualified through. Then they got the Czech Republic, who were fantastic as well, and we'll talk about them later. But they hadn't played anyone really strong until they got to England, when you think about it in the in the long run. 
Yes, they had a fabulous tournament, but they lost to Finland in that opening match. Let's not forget that. I know, obviously, it's a little harsh considering they weren't, you know, in the best state of mind. But then they played Belgium. They couldn't beat Belgium. And then they survived when they thumped Russia in what was a surprise because Russia weren't playing too badly themselves to make it through. And that's when they went on that little dream run. But they just missed that quality of someone like Christian Eriksen when they had to play the good teams. And when they played England, they just didn't have it. They got that early goal, and then they sat back. And as soon as they sat back, the English just carved through them. And yes, then England were very lucky to get past them with that penalty decision. But on the run of the game, England probably deserved to win. And not discrediting Denmark, but I think that's where they need to go to next. They need some kind of quality new star to come through. Do they start to get the best out of some other their youth products that are coming through the system to really take them to the next level. Um, an A-plus for me in terms of their rating, uh, a semi-final, I never would have called it. And uh, I always am very generous with my ratings if a team totally surprises or goes against what I originally predicted. We go to Finland. Started off brilliantly. They beat, obviously, as you mentioned, they beat Denmark. They could punch above their weight. The service, though, apart from that one game, was... I thought was terrible. Their midfield just did not shape up. Timu Puki in particular was found wanting, just didn't get the, the quality service that was required. It was an average performance in terms of the competition as a whole. There are some signs, though, I think, that Finland are improving as a footballing nation and they come, can become more than a nation of ice hockey players and race car drivers. C-plus for mine and a big bois. Um, yeah, I think it's just a C for me. They did what they they were... I think we kind of predicted that they would do. They got that surprise win, albeit under unlikely circumstances, but they do what they needed to do. They almost got within qualification routes, but they just dropped against Russia and they were never going to beat Belgium. So they had to, when they lost to Russia, you knew it was over. And unfortunately, they just, they weren't going to be one of those teams that went on a miracle run like their neighbours across the border. We then go to Russia, and I gave them a C-. minus. I thought they did okay this in this tournament once again, like they did at the World Cup. Still plenty of work, but it's going in the right direction. But their defence was absolutely shocking. Yuri Zerkov has already announced his retirement. It's expected that Fyodor Kurashov and Andrei Semyonov won't be far behind. You've got to remember the average age of their defence is 32 and they don't have the quality of someone like a Chiellini or a Bonucci. Yeah, I don't really know what to say about Russia. They were obviously a bit disappointing throughout. Didn't pick up. They picked up the one win against Finland, but C-minus for mind. Fun kind of hips the squad of the 2018 <laughs> World, World Cup. I like um, has kind of Has kind of died off now. And I don't really see anything exciting happening for uh, a little while. Let's go to Group C now. We start off with the team that came first, the Netherlands. Uh, they got knocked out in the round of 16. I gave them a B minus. They did was I thought what was expected of them in the group stages with I thought the easiest group of the lot for them. But once again, they failed to kick on from a good start. They had a lack of a plan B, and I think once again this has shown how poor a manager Frank de Boer actually is. Very strange appointment, wasn't it, when they brought in uh, Frank de Boer, who has, you know, as a football player himself, a fantastic uh, record, but as a manager, not so great, which we've spoken about plenty of times. They were really good in the group stages to 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 start with, I guess, but then kind of just sort of 
fell away. And again, you know, I'd say I'm surprised, but I'm not. It's a, it's a, it's a common thing with the Netherlands international team. Just and apart from that one maiden final appearance in my lifetime, 2010 World Cup. Well, of course, because you weren't around for the 1988. You weren't around for 1988 European Championships that they won and won convincingly with their original golden generation. Yeah, 1988, I wasn't there, but since then they've just always been kind of perennial underachievers, and um, it showed once again. You know, they, they qualified through their group, they got past with flying colours, and then. As per usual, you get to the round of 16, and uh, hello, underdog story. The Czech Republic getting the job done and uh, sending the Netherlands home for an early bath. And something that I think Dutch fans have become quite used to on an international stage, and it's disappointing because at what it looked like, it looked like they were going to be one of the dark horses. Well, it looks like the only thing that they're celebrating at the moment now is the performance of Max Verstappen in the Formula One, <laughs> so at least they've got something to celebrate in that regard. We then move on to the team that came second in, in Group C. It was Austria, also knocked out in the round of 16. A very understated campaign from Austria. They surprised everyone when they got out to the round of 16. They got eventually run over by the Italians, but their defence was superb. Yeah, the, the Austrians um, were, what, a shoulder whip from uh, a quarterfinals appearance. The Italians uh, can look back at their tournament and go, this is the game that probably won us the Euros. Because this was the one game where you watched them and went, they were really poor. They weren't great against Spain, but they had to adjust to a team that played uh, just a better style than what they played. But they were poor against Austria, who just rallied them, ran all day, harassed. And if Marco Anadovic had just held his run by a fraction of a second, he would have scored and put them in front. And I don't think the Italians would have had a, an answer with little time remaining. It would have only been about 25 minutes left in that game when his goal uh, was disallowed for being offside. They were uh, surprised to me. I gave them a... A B rating, just a B. They did a really good job. They've got some quality players led by the experienced David Alaba at the back. They've got some real hard-working midfielders that, you know, they never give up and they're always trying hard. And it's it's pleasant football to watch uh, from time to time. They're probably lacking the class of some of the heavyweight players uh, in European football. But what they don't lack is the heart. And that's what got them to this stage. And I think a B rating is only fair. For the Austrians. We then go to the team that came third, the Ukraine. They got knocked out in the quarterfinals, but they, I've got to say, uh, they played as you would have expected a team to play under Andrei Shevchenko. They weren't afraid to go forward, and I'll tell you what, some of the goals they scored were decent. Another B, B-plus rating from me to one of these teams in this group really surprised me, the Ukraine, in the, in the way that they performed. So they got to the quarterfinals, got... Got the luck of the draw in, in drawing Sweden, who were better than them, but as we saw, uh, and they did get the job done, so well done to them, but as we saw when they got to England, they were absolutely trounced at the Stadio Olimpico in the quarterfinals. So good against the teams that they, that they know that they have a chance against, but against the teams where they struggle a little bit in terms of quality, they, they didn't quite have the answer, uh, in the end. But, Quarterfinal appearance for the Ukraine. It would have been a long time since that happened, that's for sure. And um, you've got to look back to 
I don't know, Euro 2000, I think, when the last time that happened. Which was no, the World Cup, Cup of the World Cup of 2006. 2006 is the... Yes. Yeah, there you go, 2006. Well, I was really, relatively close. So, uh, you know, a long time since they've, they've, they've gotten this far So at an international tournament. So, yeah, a B rating for me from the Ukraine under Shevchenko. They played some nice football and it's very direct, but it's, it, it's, it's entertaining. And that's what you want to see sometimes at the end of the day. If it, at least your side goes down... Uh, fighting. We then finish off with Group C, North Macedonia. The team we thought was going to become bottom of everyone and get the thanks for coming award, they managed to avoid it. They, they managed did. to avoid coming bottom of everyone. They did. Only to Erky were worse, and which is hilarious because I had uh, North Macedonia in the sweepstakes and I refused to hand over my money until the end of the tournament because I knew that I would be getting my money back. The worst place team, person who drew that, would get their money back. I knew it was going to be me. And Turkey did me an, an absolute dirty and conceded more goals than North Macedonia. And you know what? North Macedonia, look, giving them a C, they turned up for every game and they put in uh, a solid effort. You know, they went down to Austria in the first game, 3-1. They got close to pipping the Ukraine as well. And then when they came up against the Netherlands, as uh, I just get it up, they obviously just didn't have the the strength. But quite a story led by you know Goran Pandev in his last, who came out of retirement to help them. So uh, a C, a C for me for the North Macedonia. Uh, let's hope we have them back sometime soon. Absolutely, we're going to take a break, ladies and gentlemen. When we come back, we're going to be continuing with part two of the wrap of Euro 2020. This is Splinters, the Bench Podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, Apple Store, YouTube Music, Spotify, TuneIn, and all good podcast sites. Of course, we do it all for Atlas Chartered Accountants, the Hornsby Karingai Post, the Hornsby RSL, and ISC Sports. We'll be right back. Do you think the government deserves more of your hard-earned money? If not, make sure you talk to Atlas Chartered Accountants. Atlas Chartered Accountants makes sure the money you earn stays in your pocket through legal tax planning strategies, from finding that last tax deduction to tax-effective business structures for asset protection purposes so you can invest in what really matters, your family and business. Visit their website at ihatetax.com.au. Atlas Chartered Accountants. They are dedicated to you and dedicated station sponsors of Triple H 100.1 FM. Hornsby RSL Club, your perfect place to catch up with friends and family. With dining options ranging from modern Australian favourites in the courtyard, authentic Asian cuisine from Keku, or delicious wood-fired pizzas from Level 1, there is something for everyone to enjoy. Join us weekly for entertainment activities such as trivia, meat raffles, bingo and free live music, or grab some tickets to see one of our first-class entertainment acts in the showroom. Thinking of holding an event? Let our friendly events team guide you through every step to create the perfect event for any occasion. Visit our website at hornsbrsl.com.au for further details. Hornsby RSL Club, proud sponsors of Triple H. Welcome back to Splinters, the Bench Podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, Apple Store, YouTube Music, Spotify, TuneIn and all good podcast sites. We do it all for Atlas Chartered Accountants, the Hornsby Coringai Post, the Hornsby RSL and ISC Sports. 
Anthony the Bull Caruso back with the spicy chorizo, Dom Rizzuto. And we're going to be wrapping up Euro 2020. We're going to get straight back into it. Group D and the eventual finalists and the first place team in Group D, England. And it has to be said, like the Italians, their defence was simply incredible. Yeah, once again, a uh, dogged performance uh, by England in an international tournament off the back of the uh, World Cup in 2018. Their first final since in any international tournament since 1966, incredibly. And they were off the back of this defence. Jordan Pickford was exceptional in between the sticks and I think silenced his doubters in this tournament in terms of his ability uh, with the gloves. Raheem Sterling brushed off criticisms that uh, he hadn't had enough minutes under Pep Guardiola this season and maybe was looking to get phased out at Manchester City and was England's biggest threat. Luke Shaw had a coming of age as well. So it was a good tournament from the, from the, from the English. And, you know, they were very, very, very close to bringing it home. That's for sure. You could say that the only mistakes made by England were in the final by Gareth Southgate with putting on Jack Grealish, I thought, far too late and then throwing the likes of Marcus Rashford, Jaden Sancho and Bukaya Saka under the bus for the, the penalty shootout. What occurred was terrible. We won't go into it because it's been stated ad nauseum. the terrible incidents that occurred afterwards. But that's the worst you could come up with in terms of his performance in the final. I thought they were absolutely outstanding. They've set themselves up for the World Cup and Euro 2024. Uh, I, they downgraded... I downgraded them by one from what I would have given them due to the tactical mistakes in the final, but I gave them a very solid A. Yeah, I agree. I, I, an A for me too. I thought England were uh, were outstanding uh, throughout most of the tournament. They only real the only two games where I think that they weren't too fat, too crash hot and still I reckon down to a lack of inexperience was the semi final and the final itself. Semi final, we all know that they got a little bit lucky with that penalty decision that went their way to to knock Denmark out. But other than that, they, they really didn't look challenged. They had a very, very strong performance against Germany, a team that has traditionally always beaten England and always been stronger than England. They looked comfortable against them. They were e- they eased past the Ukraine. Yes, they didn't look too crash hot in the group stages. Goals were a problem for this England side. But what Southgate has done is made sure that they're secure at the back. And once he finds, I think, the right mix for uh, this side, they'll be able to start scoring goals more freely. Jack Grealish, as much as everyone loves him and he's a fan favourite, I think fits into this team really nicely. He But he will never fit into this team, I think, fantastically, if that's the word I'm looking to use, because he just doesn't suit Southgate's system um, as much as I think Southgate would like, as much as he would love to play him. He just doesn't fit the system. Uh, I agree with you. They bring him on too late as well for him to do anything. But he came on, came on against Germany, he got an assist, and then he, he, so he created the first one, and then he created the assist. So he definitely has a place in the team, that's for sure. It's just whether or not he can be the starting left winger for the side, I'm, I'm, I'm not too sure. And against Italy in the final, tactically, I don't think it was really his fault necessarily, but they got the early goal, and then when the Italians started to take control with the changes they made, well, Mancini made the changes... Southgate was just a little too late to react, and that's when the goal went in, and the Italians started to dominate. Um, and then on penalties, yeah, I was I was a little surprised with the penalty decisions that were made, but they were really good um, throughout the tournament. They came oh so close, and they've put themselves in a fantastic position for the 
World Cup next year. We then go to Croatia, who finished second in the group, knocked out in the round of 16, retained their very physical imposition on the game, centred around the brilliant playmaking ability of Luka Modric. But, you know, they fell short of expectations after their grand final appearance at the 2018 World Cup. I gave them a C, and the reason why is because I think this team's now on a downward, downward spiral coming to the end of the Modric Perisic era. Yeah, it's um, on, they had their little uh, again little surprise golden generation, as I mentioned a few years ago, which uh, saw them get to the final uh, of the World Cup in Russia. They didn't look too crash hot in this tournament, I must admit. Luka Modric really the one world class player this side has left and he's probably the World Cup will, will be his last international tournament you would think considering his age uh, Ivan Perisic played here and there but didn't really live up to the expectation that I think most Croatian fans expect of him um, they put up a good fight against Spain in that round of 16 match they you know they were down I think 3-1 at the at one point and managed to work their way back into the game and sending it to extra time but they didn't have the, the legs to, to go with Spain in the final 30 minutes of added time that they put on uh, before penalties uh, so they fell short there a C for me uh, similar to you Caruso I don't really know how else to kind of sum up their tournament other than you know what we got to the round of 16 they got a slightly unlucky draw going up against Spain and they got beaten a very predictable outcome for Croatia. The Czech Republic finished third in, in Group D, got knocked out in the quarterfinals. However, I gave them a B plus, and I think the best performance in a tournament since the days of um, Pavel Nedved. Patrick Schick was absolutely outstanding. Um, unfortunately, they just lacked from a uh, from no plan B in this match. Vladimir Kufal, I thought, was brilliant at right wing back as well. Yeah, Kufal, Kufal is uh, is an excellent player, very unrated, perfect kind of pers- uh, football player. Right, he's not a he's not a showboater. He plays football because it's his it's his career. He doesn't play it because it's his dream. Uh, and sometimes that's the best player um, that you can get. Uh, on on your team, Schick, Patrick Schick. Well, you know, he has big raps on him. This kid as uh, to be a, a a classic world striker. He, I know him well at his at his Roma days, where he, he just couldn't get it together. But in this tournament, he he really put some value back into his name ahead of the new domestic season. He scored the goal of the tournament. Don't argue with me. If you score from halfway. It's, it's the goal of the tournament, 10 out of 10, not even 9 out of 10, 10 out of 10 times. He shared the the, the golden boot with Cristiano Ronaldo, and they had an excellent tournament, uh, Denmark, and they've got some good players coming through the middle, uh, through the system too. And for me, uh, yeah, B, B-plus rating is, is only fair for them. We then go to Scotland, and... You know, another team that was originally expected to make up the numbers, they did show a lot of resilience... Uh, I gave them a C plus on the back fact that they did get that nil all draw against England, and no matter what you say about them for the rest of the uh, for the next couple of years, the fact they got a nil all draw against England is enough for the Scots. The funny thing is about that game uh, from a from the an outside perspective, Scotland were really pleased with the result. Realistically, when if you'd watched it, they should have won, and I would have been disappointed that they didn't take the three points from. That game, because out of the other games that they played, 
they were a little unlucky with, against the Czech Republic. They dominated a game and then they got hit with that spectacular halfway goal against uh, against them from Patrick Schick and then obviously went on to lose the match. And then their game that would have seen them qualify was the game that they had against England, which they drew. And realistically, they were the better team on the day and they probably should have taken the three points. This would stop them from going into the the, the next stage. For mine, C- minus for them, they weren't that crash hot. They had one good draw against England on their off day, but they couldn't take advantage of it. Um, it was uh, in all in all, look, I'm sure Scottish fans are happy to just see their team at an international tournament. But from an outside perspective, looking at this from a, uh, an, an analytical point of view, I can't give them more than a C minus. We then move to Group B, and the team that came top of the group, Sweden, knocked out in the round of 16. Oh, I think for mine, they definitely surprised everyone by finishing top of Group B, uh, especially after their late win against Poland. Emil Fosberg, four goals. Uh, the team's age really showed uh, really showed through, though, especially later on in the tournament. I gave them a B. The fact they topped the group was a massive overachievement, I think. They did get the cleaners taken through them by the Ukraine, but they'll be happy with the way that they went in this tournament. Yeah, they were really good, Sweden. Uh, off the back of Emil Forsberg's display, he was uh, sensational. And I think that he will be thinking about maybe making a move uh, to to one of the best teams in the world soon because he's a very, very underrated talent. They were unlucky to not make it further in the end. They copped a red card against the Ukraine, which I personally thought was a little unlucky and almost sent it to penalties, was it not, for a last-minute goal by the Ukraine. Uh, a decent tournament from them, obviously, uh, we didn't get to see Slatani Bohimovic there, who could have gone to the tournament as well. Um, but I think due to his injury concerns, he, he didn't join the team for their matches, which was a big shame for them. But Sweden, for me, B rating, decent performance uh, throughout the groups. They topped the group, which was uh, which contained Spain, and were a little unlucky at the end of the day. So I think uh, we'll see more from this squad when the World Cups uh, comes around in a few months' time. Speaking of which, let's go to Spain, who finished second in the group, but made the semi-finals, and glimpses of that tiki-taka era of football returned with a vengeance, and I gave them a very solid B+, plus after making it so far. But, you know, there were two things that came to mind, two things that really showed that they were really past their best with that tiki-taka era. The first thing was they were weak against teams with size, and they were weak against teams that don't engage their preferred false nine, or in the case of Italy, the tactical switch by Mancini to then engage a false nine of their own. Spain were interesting. It took them a couple of uh, games to get into their swing, but then they were free scoring uh, from from then on. But they fell a little short when it came to those final few matches, and it kind of came down to this. If they couldn't score you would say early and uh, get into a bit of a rhythm and they found themselves in a bit of a dogfight, that's when they struggled and they couldn't quite get the sort of legs pumping and turning and, and put more goals on teams because that's how Spain play. When you play that kind of tiki-taka football, it's very, very hard to keep going at it when a team concedes. Uh, when you concede first, I should say, when you concede, uh, particularly when you concede early, because if they do concede, kind of like, and they can't score early, teams then sort of adjust to them, and they start to sit back, and then they hit them on the counter, and that's what the Italians did. The Italian, they, 
Spain didn't take their chances in that first half of football against Italy in the semi-final, and then it came, Italy adjusted at half-time, and then they got the goal. And then they they managed to get themselves back into the game, Spain, but they didn't have the answers to, you know, to find it again. And then obviously they got beaten on penalties, which is always a lottery ticket. Um, they were very good. Uh, and, and I actually think, were, you know, were overlooked by a lot of people uh, considering the, the, the players that they have at their disposal. Um, but, you know, Pedri was, it was fantastic. Obviously the 18 year old and he's going to be a world champion in the future. There's no doubt about that. He's um, a phenomenal talent. And similar to Italy, their real, real problem is they lack a talismatic striker. And a, but a B-plus rating, uh, regardless, you know, got to the semi-finals and they played some very attractive football. We then go to Slovakia, finished third in Group E. Uh, their biggest achievement, they beat Poland. They were expected to struggle. They managed to avoid coming bottom of the, bottom of the table, which is an achievement within itself. Uh, but this team is going to, this half the squad are on the wrong side of 32 already. I gave them a D plus. They did was pretty much what was expected. They got spanked in most of their games and then somehow beat Poland. Uh, I thought they were there making up the numbers. Yeah, me too. I think they got a, you know, there's not much to say about this Slovakian side. I don't really know too much about it. Uh, and, and about them, I should say. Uh, I'm giving them a C minus just because they got that surprise win over Poland and they were unfortunate not to qualify through this new system that the, Euros has in terms of uh, the best third place teams going through. We then go to Poland and finish the bottom of Group E, and I think that they should hang their heads in shame. This, for mine, was the team that underachieved more than anyone else. I gave them an F, and I think they're already in trouble, and they're on a downward spiral. Yep, uh, I think you can uh, definitely stamp an F on this Polish team. They were very, very disappointing. Robert Lewandowski was provided zero service and he did all he could to keep his side's hopes alive, but he just couldn't uh, find a way. Was Czech Chesney in goals was just let down by a pretty dismal defensive effort from uh, the Polish, our uh, our local uh, and resident uh, Polish international, Keith Topolski, hanging his head in shame uh, at a couple of the results that uh, came out of the squad. And I'm not too sure... Where to next for this team? They'll get a World Cup with Lewandowski in the squad, which is um, uh, going to be a huge boost for them if they can make it there. But I tell you what, there's a lot of work to do to improve on this uh, result uh, that they've just put forward. And there's no excuses with the squad that they have with likes of uh, Camille Gilk at the back, uh, Petwar Zielinski in the midfield to, to help out Lewandowski up front. And I tell you what, they'll... They'll be putting some work on the training park when they have their next international match come around. We now move to the last group, Group F, and we start off with the team that finished first in France. This was the group of death. They were knocked down in the round of 16. In this group, I thought they did well to finish first. It was a very hard group indeed, but, oh boy, got their pants pulled down by Switzerland, and I thought they were a victim of their own arrogancy, and I thought they lacked from leadership in this squad. Yeah, that's exactly right. They lacked leadership. And I tell you what, they had their chances to, to, to do better. Um, it would be interesting to see what would have happened if they got past Switzerland in that round of 16 knockout match, if they do go on and cause havoc uh, later down the draw. Obviously, they, they would have run into England at some point and would have caused, you know, 
a, a bit of issues, I'm sure, at that end of the table. But, you know, I thought that um, aside from the game that they uh, that they won, which was against Germany, where they looked really re- impressive in the first opening exchanges, they were poor after that. They almost bottled it against Hungary. They drew with Portugal, and actually I thought on the day Portugal were the better team. And yeah, and then they did. They were obliterating Switzerland after uh, they conceded an early goal and were well in control, and then choked hard uh, in the final few minutes to allow it to go to extra time. And uh, Switzerland hold, held on to uh, take it to penalties, and then you know golden boy Kylian Mbappe. Um, it's I think it, that's the one thing with penalties. It could it can it can turn you into a zero very very quickly, and that's what it did to Killian, who was really their bright spark throughout the entire tournament. But they were exposed by something that I said at the start of the tournament when we previewed this. Caruso is their defence. They lack they lack defenders. Rafael Varane is not world class. He's been looked after by Sergio Ramos all those years at. Real Madrid, Kimbenke, um, who's coming through at PSG, look, he's strong. I don't think he's that good. They didn't bring him TT with them. They just don't have the, I think, the defensive squad to to match them. And if they can, if teams can kind of work their way around and go to Conte, they can cause France troubles now. And they're still going to be a, a fantastic team uh, and, and one of the favourites for the World Cup. But they, this was a disappointing tournament from their perspective, and I've given them a D. We then move on to Germany, finished second in Group F. Of course, this was known as the last international tournament campaign for Joachim Lowe, their long-time manager. Uh, of course, it's the end of that squad that he had with the likes of Manuel Neuer, Mats Hummels, Thomas Mueller. The last one's left. Tony Cruz has retired, and the new manager now coming in has got a big job to do to rebuild this squad. They made it to the round of 16, but, you know, there's a lot of work to do, and especially when you consider that the likes of Hummels, Werner, and Thomas Mueller were all left wanting. Ah, yeah, they weren't too great. The Germans, they obviously got that really good result over Portugal, which everyone thought perhaps this is that's going to be the catalyst to, to, to spur them on to be one of the kind of other favourites to kind of blossom and, and really have a go at going all the way. But then... Almost, you know, had it not been for a late, late equaliser by Leon Goretzka against Hungary, we actually would have seen Hungary go through as <laughs> as one of the third best placed sides. So they were fortunate enough to get through, but then when they came up against uh, England, they they didn't have a lot of answers really. Uh, England kind of shut them down. And although Thomas Muller probably should have equalised immediately after Raheem Sterling scored his opening goal, he didn't take the chance, which is very unlike. Thomas Muller, who has been a, a goal-scoring World Cup international tournament goal-scoring machine for a number of years, and when he missed that, that kind of epitomised where Germany is at at the moment in terms of their international power ranking when it comes to football. Um, yeah, Julian Nagelsmann, the former RB Leipzig coach, will come in and replace Jakob Laft all um, his years in charge. He's got a lot of work to do in terms of figuring out. How this squad wants to needs to play. I think it lost its identity a little bit after it won the World Cup back in 2014. This German national team, and it just needs to kind of find that groove again because they have, on paper, one of the most powerful rosters in the business uh, of players to pick from. So there's no reason why they shouldn't be 
in the the final stages of international tournaments every year. We then move on to Portugal, who finished third in Group F, knocked out in the round of 16. No shortages of goal, led, of course, by Cristiano Ronaldo, who shared the golden boot with five goals. I gave them a D, a very, probably a very harsh D. And the reason why for that is I thought that for all the hype they had around certain players, some of them went missing in this tournament, and I thought Bruno Fernandes was the worst of it. I gave them a C- for mine, because they did come up against Belgium, and they were at, in a lot of the games that they played, um, they, were, I've, they were actually the better team. They just couldn't quite find the, the answer to take them over the line. But I, I, I tell you what about Portugal, and I think one of the, the great things that I... Oh, some things that I read, I should say, um, recently about about the side is is that managerially they kind of come into a bit of a challenge because Portuguese managers, and I was seeing this on um, on uh, on Optus Sport, John Aloisi was saying it's something I really agreed with was that Portuguese managers and Fernando Santos is still in charge after he took them to that that tournament uh, win in in 2016. They're very pragmatic coaches. Right, which builds squads around like like Jose Mourinho, right? And they kind of idolise the way that he has won tournaments, and it's very defensive, it's resolute, it's structured. But the squad they have now is like the total opposite. Cristiano Ronaldo still there. They've got uh, likes of you know, as you mentioned, Bruno Fernandez, Diego Jota, what's his name, the Jao Felix up front for for them as well they've got some real they've got one of the best if not the best attacking teams in the world and I don't know if Fernando Santos an old style kind of Portuguese coach is the man to bring the best out of this new team that they have Um, because this team is better than the team that they had when they won it in 2016 there's no doubt about it and they need to find a way that they can get them to that next to sort of to play to the calibre with what they have because they should have won this tournament by a stretch of a mile with this caliber they have. And they need to figure out a way that they can kind of get them all firing because it just looked like, once again, that it was the give the ball to Ronaldo and see what he can do. But considering the squad that they have, um, I don't think that should be the case. So for me, it's a C-. minus. I think they played really well. They just didn't have that, I don't know, that tactical nous to get them to the next stage. And to finish off the show, we've got Hungary who finished fourth in Group F. And... For a team that was expected to make up the numbers, I thought they provided some real nuisance value and provided their best performance in a tournament since the days of the 1950s when they were led by Puskas. I gave them a B minus. I thought that they were excellent and I thought they were unlucky. I'm giving them a B plus, Caruso. Um, they were fabulous, the Hungary. Uh, they did not go, we're just going to give up. We're not going to beat these teams. Um, and, uh, you know, we and just sort of roll over and be the whipping boy of the tournament and, and of the group. They really gave it a go. They drew with France. They drew with Germany, almost beating both of them. That for mine, they had the moment of the tournament when they scored that goal against France, the the eruption that came from the Pukas Arena um, in Hungary when they scored was something to behold. You know, I still watch it. It gives me chills, the amount of excitement and joy. Um, when that goal was scored. If you haven't watched it, go watch it. Having not had fans in the stadium uh, at that capacity for so long, it was such a thrill to see. I think that they've got a big future. And bearing in mind, they didn't take a few of their players with them as well, which I I stated at the start of uh, Euro previews, um, who would make a difference for them. And they didn't get to go due to to various different reasons. And I think if they had 
come along, it could have been a different result for Hungary altogether. My my word, they'll be in more international tournaments in the future, and they'll be a force to be reckoned with um, when they are there. And they've got a good range of youngsters coming through as well. It's going to be exciting to see Hungary back in the in the in on the international stage. We're going to leave the uh, the show on this note, and something we're going to enjoy, Dom, from this. This tournament had more goals per game of any European Championship since the introduction of the group stages. 2.78 goals a game. I thoroughly enjoyed the tournament. It's the best one I've watched, I thought, in some time in terms of quality and entertainment value. Sorry, what was that, Crusoe? Just cut off just ever so slightly. Oh, I'll do that again. Yeah. Uh, we're going to finish off the show on this interesting fact. This tournament had the most goals per game of any European Championship. 2.78 goals a game. This was since the introduction of group stages back in 1980. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I thought it was the best European Championship of my lifetime. And not just because Italy won. That's a tough one. I don't. I mean, yes, I think it's been uh, a really good Euros. I think it was. I, I wasn't a fan of the multi cities um, setup. Um, with it, I think. Too many sides had an unfair advantage in some respects. I think if you're going to give an advantage, you, you only just give it to the one team and they're the host um, at the end of the day. Uh, you know, I think even Italy in England had a big advantage, right? You know, Italy played their entire group games at, at home. I think England played all but one game not at Wembley um, throughout, the, throughout the tournament. So I think that becomes a little bit unfair. But other than that, I think it was a fabulous tournament um, with, with some... Some incredible football, and you know, all I can say is, is bring on the next one. Absolutely. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is full time here on Splinters. What of an episode, and what a Euro it has been. I want to thank our chief football correspondent Dom Rosetto for joining us. You're going to be taking a break from Splinters for a bit, but we can't wait to have you back on soon um, because we will have some, hopefully some NPL to wrap up. Yes, it's going to be uh, plenty of football coming our way. Uh, uh, not uh, is not too far away. Obviously, the English Premier League starts soon, and obviously, hopefully, we can get the NPL back up and running, and we can talk about a, a, a season review when it comes to that moment. Absolutely. Well, this has been Splinters, the Bench Podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm and available for download at podcast.com, Apple Store, YouTube Music, Spotify, TuneIn, and all good podcast sites. We do it all for Atlas Chartered Accountants, the Hornsby Karingai Post, the Hornsby RSL, and ISC Sports. On behalf of Dom Rizzuto, I'm Anthony Caruso. Run hard or run home. Good night.